When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Matt Ostenik, CEO of Grateful. I can tell you in the US, there's about 160 million people in the US that donate to charities every year. Those are people that care. And those people say, when you ask them, 91% of them say they're more likely to do business with companies that are willing to support a charity that they personally care about. So there's a marketing and customer attraction value proposition with this. But what we've seen, and Grateful is still small, we're still new, but what we've seen with some of the companies we're working with already, for the customers that participate in this type of customer giving program, those customers spend 17% more with those businesses as well. So it literally pays for itself over time. This is Matt. He's an architect, creator, builder, and tech entrepreneur on a mission. He's founded four companies. First, in 2003, Submittal Exchange, a construction technology company. He sold his company to Textura in 2011. He continued to grow the Submittal Exchange business unit by an average of 50% per year and served on Textura's executive team as the company completed a successful IPO on the New York Stock Exchange in June 2013. In 2014, he founded both CVG, a consulting company, and Funnelwise, a marketing and sales technology startup. Matt knows the ins and outs of building successful and mission-driven businesses. He believes that businesses can use social goods to connect with their customers and employees on a deeper and stronger level. Today, he's the founder and CEO of Grateful, a platform that helps socially good businesses participate in grateful giving by donating to their customers and employees favorite nonprofits. Its mission is to transform charitable giving for nonprofits, businesses, and individual givers. And that inspired me, and hence I invited Matt to my podcast. We explore what's missing in the way we build SaaS businesses. Matt shares his vision on how creating social and business impact amplifies each other when done well. He shares his lessons learned in creating successful SaaS businesses that leverage the power of the network effect. And last but not least, he provides his views on raising the bar for impact in SaaS companies. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, what value we can create for our customers if we understand 
what their customers desire for them. Secondly, you will understand what to look for in customers to accelerate traction. Thirdly, how to engineer your solution so it automatically brings in valuable leads. And lastly, how to go about building a business that creates a remarkable network effect. Hi, Matt. Awesome. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, and the same for me, primarily because what you are representing is why I started this podcast in the first place. I mean, the podcast is called Tech Entrepreneurs on a Mission, and I clearly see that you are one of those again. And maybe even more specific, because it's all about social good. These are the things that I try to support with the podcast and the work that I do. So glad to have you. Before we start talking about your company, Grateful, a little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself as an entrepreneur, what characteristics would come up? Great question. And thanks again for having me today, Tom. I've been excited to talk with you. Looking forward to this. Great question. I mean, entrepreneurs, I guess for myself, I would think of words like creative and driven, right? I think I'd apply to most entrepreneurs as well. So I'm not different with that. But I've always been a creative person. When I started my career, I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. I actually went to school for architecture, designing buildings, and then stumbled into entrepreneurship and tech entrepreneurship while I was working as a young architect out of college, found that I like creating software products and building businesses as well. But creative energy is such a fun part of the entrepreneurial journey. And in the tech space, as you know, with tech startups and SaaS startups, I mean, there's never been more opportunity to create new things and change and improve the world that we live in. That's what part of the journey is all about. Yes. What I always like about old stories that I get on the podcast is the novelty of the things, you know, doing the things that never been for a majority of them that have never been done before. There is no path and exactly that's where creativity comes in and being super driven, which is a very good one with regards to, you know, having the grit and the perseverance to stay going. I like those characteristics and I see your passion there as well. I realized this is your fourth startup. So you could walk for one thing also say that you're also passionate about building businesses. Is it also that it's like, are you more of a starter and then let go at some point in time or is that history gone? That's a great question. I like all aspects of it. I love the initial creation, but I also love the building and growing. It evolves, as you know, as you move through the stages. I mean, every six months, every year, it's completely different as the business grows and evolves. But I love the ideation stage, coming up with the concept, the creating a product. I'm a product guy, so I love creating that original tech product and designing it. But then I love it as it grows. And inevitably, you know, that initial idea you've got, like it changes, right? From all the conversations you have and the customers you onboard and how it fits in with their businesses and lives, like it evolves, it grows, it changes, sometimes in ways you expect, sometimes in ways you don't. I love the middle stages of building a team around it and working with awesome people and putting in place more than yourself and more than a small group, but a bigger team and continuing to scale and grow and seeing that impact really start to snowball as a business scales as well. So I'm not giving you a clear answer because really I like all of the stages of growing as well. That's a good answer because some people say, and I'm really the starter and after two years I get bored and then I leave. So talking about your last startup, Grateful, what was the problem that you saw that as I normally say was screaming for solution or screaming to be taken out, out of existence? So you've heard me talk a little bit about, you know, I love building things. I love creating things. My past prior to Grateful, I did a couple startups that I would say are more traditional SaaS startups. One was a construction software company, a SaaS platform. One was in the marketing tech, marketing SaaS space as well. Fun businesses, cool products, good customers, more traditional. They were focused on building a great product and making money for the business and our investors and owners, right? 
I had a chance a couple of years ago to reflect on what I wanted to do next. And I know that creating new things is in my blood. I wanted to do another startup, of course, because we're all crazy like this, right? We always have another one for most of us under a belt or something that we want to go out and try. But I was reflecting more on this space we're in and the creative energy that we have. And I mentioned I started my career in architecture, designing buildings before I got into designing businesses. It's really interesting. In the architecture space, there's a lot of focus on public good and social good, like how our work as architects impacts the people that use our buildings, but also the communities they exist in. And as I thought a little bit more about the differences between being an architect versus being a SaaS founder, you know, there's not as much conversation in the SaaS space or as much as there should be, in my opinion, about social impact from our work. We build great tech companies. We build companies because we love the technology. We love being creative. And yeah, it's awesome to generate great financial returns for ourselves and our investors. But what about the world at large and people outside of our business? You know, How do we help our communities and the people that are most in need? That's something that's been in my heart. And again, it's been in my past profession. But I feel like in the SaaS space, there's not enough conversation about it. There are awesome companies doing things about that, but it's not like the top line conversation. You actually have to dig a little to find it. So sorry, I'm giving you a long-winded answer, but three years ago, when I first started working on Grateful, honestly, it started out as a journey of, you know, I want to build another SaaS company, but I want to find a way to use technology to help people that are most in need. That's really where my journey started with that. I want to make money too. I want to grow a business and be able to hire a team and build cool technology, but let's do something that's really making the world a better place as well. That's how my journey started with Grateful. And it Uh originally started as launching an early version of a mobile app and starting to ask customers and users for feedback on it and grew into this platform that we have today where socially good businesses use the Grateful platform to donate to their customers' favorite charities, which really helps support amazing causes in need, but also helps those businesses grow themselves by talking about this social impact mission. I gave you a very long-winded answer on that, so I apologize. That's that's, that's a bit of my thought process. I like that. And I completely recognize it. I got a couple of people in my mastermind that also have this, well, I call it a dilemma, but it's the luxury of having both a really big social purpose and of course, they're solving a, which I always call the huge problem that they're solving, which is something at a global level. But then, of course, they also need to solve a more expensive level at the business for the business that they are dealing with. And you created a solution to help organizations, not-for-profits and individuals yeah, all get together in order to support what they'd like to support most, right? Yeah. So the way our platform works, Grateful, we work with socially good businesses, which we define as any business that cares about helping people most in need. So they don't have to be solving a big global problem. They just have to have a heart and some values, both in their leadership and their company culture that they care. And they're willing to give a little bit charitably as well. So we work with socially good businesses where they use our technology to do customer giving programs. And what that means is they commit to donating a portion of each purchase or a percent of each purchase, oftentimes a half a percent or 1% of their sales to charities that their customers pick. And we set it up with automation. We integrate with other software tools. So when their customers are making purchases of whatever services or products they're offering, that then there's a donation made and that customer can pick what charities they care about to direct those dollars to as well. It's incredibly powerful because it lets businesses support thousands of different charities. It automates the entire process. What we see is not everybody cares about generosity and giving, right? There's some people that don't, but most people do. I don't have a global statistic on this yet, but I can tell you in the U.S., there's about 160 million people in the U.S. that donate to charities every year. Those are people that care. And those people say, when you ask them, 91% of them say they're more likely to do business with companies that are willing to support a charity that they personally care about. 
So there's a marketing and customer attraction exactly. value proposition with this. But what we've seen, and Grateful is still small, we're still new, but what we've seen with some of the companies we're working with already, for the customers that participate in this type of customer giving program, those customers spend 17% more with those businesses as well. So it literally pays for itself over time. It's a win-win situation with businesses being generous, giving to things that their customers pick, but the customers end up spending more that pays for the cost of the giving, the cost of the program. The business grows more, but they're also doing tremendous social good, helping thousands of local charities across the country as well. It's win-win across the board. Yeah. Let me make a small interruption here. Matt just made an excellent remark about the principles that underpins the network effect of his business. It's created by amplifying the value his customers can create for their customers. This was not about efficiency, but about differentiation. It's about making everybody win in a three-lever flywheel. It's a trade remarkable SaaS companies master. They aim to be different, not just better. They master the art of zooming into the essence, what the value is really all about, and then create new value possibilities. And that is where momentum sparks. And you can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book, The Remarkable Effect. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. It's brand value and there's so much more and it's word of mouth. Because I mean, if you have two companies that you compare equally on like what you could buy from them and one is doing the program and the other is not, guess what you choose? You nailed it. Yes. For people that care about giving, which are most people, that's who they're going to choose. And so it's incredibly valuable. It connects you more deeply with that person, that customer, their interests as well. Because the things they choose to give to are things that connect to their heart, right? Whether they care about children or hunger or homelessness or animals or veterans, environment, women, there's thousands of different causes they can pick from and nonprofits to work with, but they usually connect with their personal identity, what matters to them. And when a business says, hey, we're willing to help support something you care about, that just deepens that relationship that that business has with that person, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah. What, what surprises me, because this is almost such an open door, that there hasn't been any solutions out there that really take that and solve that. Because saying it is one thing, but orchestrating it is then a completely different thing. What you typically, I think, see is that a lot of organizations say, okay, we'll donate to one charity. And we do that, for example, from our total revenue, a percentage. But here it's like you even do it on a customer level and say, okay, pick one. Absolutely. The concept of cause marketing of a business picking one or a couple of charities that the business has picked to donate to, that's been around for probably 40 years as a marketing tool. And it's great. That's social good as well. But it takes it to a whole nother level when you say, instead of us picking as a company something we care about and then telling you about how we're donating to it, we're going to partner with you as our customer and give to something that you pick that you care about. It's a completely different dynamic. You know, there's logistics challenges around that. But the technology today allows us to do that very easily and very cost-effectively for businesses of any size. I will say there's a good example of this, right? I'm surprised more companies haven't done it, but there's a good example. Amazon has a program called Amazon Smile, where they donate to charities that their shoppers pick from as well. You can go into Amazon, sign up for Amazon Smile, pick up your favorite charity, and they'll donate a half a percent of your Amazon purchases to it. They've been doing that for eight or nine years. Terrific program. I'm sure that they incurred a lot of costs to scale that up. That's an internal tool, not something they offer externally. I'm sure they've incurred a lot of costs to scale it up, but they're doing that because it's the right thing to do, but because it drives value and connection with their customers as well. And for businesses that don't have Amazon's resources to do the same thing, right? Grateful is a platform 
that can allow them to do something similar at a fraction of the cost, which makes it very powerful as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Amazon does a number of things really, really well, and they keep the ideas to themselves. Normally, I ask, what's the opportunity to get this right? I think everybody can understand like what that is, and I think we talked about that. I'd like to kind of go back. You started your business in 2019, which is, I think it was the middle of 2019, right? Before COVID that is, started. So, and, uh, that is correct, yes. Kind of the first question I always try to kind of have a little bit of a discussion on is, like, how did you get started? What was the critical decision that got you started and helped you with getting something tangible? Any startup is a voyage of discovery, right? As you dive into it, you take an initial idea, you throw it out there in the market, you get feedback, you iterate you evolve on it. That certainly has been the journey that I've had with Grateful as well. You know, it's probably been a series of decisions as we've gone through it. One is when I first started working on it, literally just myself, I'm going to build an MVP and throw it out there to some friends and see what they think about it. Originally, as I mentioned to you, my idea was I want to use some tech to help people in need and to do good. And it started actually as an app for individual donations. And I built an MVP of that and launched it, people to use, small group of family and friends. What I quickly found from that was some friends and connections that were business owners saying, hey, this is cool for individuals, but gosh, we want to use it in our businesses. There's a business connection here as well. And that evolved into working with a handful of businesses on using it actually internally with their employees and them saying, hey, you know, we can use this with our workforce as a way to give to things that our employees care about, which is a differentiator in the market from a hiring and retention standpoint as well. That was cool. Spent some time focusing on that. And we still support that on the Grateful platform today. But then when I started to have some of my customers saying, you know, we'd like to use this with our customers as well and use it with clients because this shouldn't just be internal. It should be external facing. It's like, okay, that's great. We'd love to support you with that. Let us add some features to make that work for you. And I met a woman who runs a staffing firm in the Denver, Colorado area summer of last year, connected with her where she runs a program with her company, not through tech, doing it mainly, but donating 1% of her placement fees to charities that her customers pick. I was like, wow, that's awesome. We can automate that for you with technology as well. But what a cool idea to do that as an ongoing percentage basis to really bake it into your business model, right? And I like the donating a percent from an entrepreneur's perspective because I've been there in the early stages where you're bootstrapping and small and you can't really afford anything extra. You know, doing it as a percentage basis keeps your cost really low when you're small. But then it means every additional sale you make, every bit of growth you have, you're giving more and impacting more as well. And I just thought she had such an amazing idea with what she'd be doing in her business, again, completely manually without tech, that it made sense as I collaborated with her to offer support for that into our platform today. And that's really set the direction, that type of customer feedback for the direction of where we're going with the business and other customers we've onboarded to do that automatically with their customers in a wide variety of industries as well. So you asked me about a specific moment. I'm giving you more of a journey here with several key decision points, driven, but driven by those customer conversations to help us shape where Grateful is headed. That is exactly what the journey is. At what point did you, maybe that was that point where you talked to that lady, the way you said, okay, okay, now we've hit the sweet spot of where this can be really big and yeah, kind of achieve what we have in mind with the mission. Was that that moment? That certainly was a light bulb moment to say, wow, here's some potential for where this can even go and what it can be for sure. You know, we're still small. We're still early to be very honest about it as we talk to businesses here in the US about it. 
about 80% of the time, the feedback we get from businesses is, yeah, this sounds great. We'd be glad to do this once our customers tell us this is something they want. And so that means, you know, we've got more work to do to help demonstrate how powerful this is, how impactful it is, and how customers are interested in it as well. We've recently launched an ambassador program. We call them Grateful Giving Ambassadors, where we're signing up individuals completely for free, where they use our platform and they basically say, hey, yeah, I'd like this as a customer. We've built in some tech. We work with Plaid, which is a bank and credit card integration platform, where as an individual, you can go into our platform and say, hey, I'll connect my credit or debit card through Plaid with an automatic integration. And what that does is it automatically passes business names to us as you do purchases. Completely private, completely secure. No one's looking at it manually, but our software takes those business names and then matches it against our database to say, hey, if you're shopping at a company or purchasing services from them, are they participating in Grateful Giving? And if they're not, then we'll reach out to them and ask them to sign up and say, you've got a customer who wants to do that as well. And we're very excited about that because that's a way to help spread the word and demonstrate to more businesses that people care about this and customers would love to see their businesses, their favorite companies participate in this as well. Uh, You create both a pull and a push effect in the marketplace. And it's interesting to see that those companies, what I typically start to see, and of course, that's maybe the challenge also, and let's discuss this. Uh, What I was talking about is when you're starting a SaaS business, the best place to be at the end is that you solve a problem that is super valuable to solve for a customer, but also urgent to solve for them. And if it's highly valuable, but not urgent, it's nice to have. And I think that is typically, I think, where the evangelism comes in until the point where they start to see, wait a minute. Our competitors are starting to do it. They see the traction coming up with, okay, more sales. They are attracting the right type of customers and we're losing them right now. That is the moment where it starts to shift for them. And it's not about that your customers are asking for it, yes or no. I think this can be a really competitive advantage to you if you're really in. See that? It is. We absolutely are seeing that. And in fact, where we've gotten the quickest traction is in industries where they're competitive and companies are looking for ways to differentiate. And I should say, you know, the businesses we work with, they participate in this because it aligns with the business founders or owners or CEOs or leadership team's values, right? Like people do this because they care about giving themselves as well. But that's what starts the conversation. They do it because it's a fit with their values. But then we talk about the ROI, the costs, the ROI, what it does for their business. That differentiation aspect, that competitive advantage is huge because it separates them. Like you were saying earlier, I mean, you summed it up better than I could in one of my own sales pitches, right? You got two businesses side by side, similar-ish products, but one of them is doing this and one is not. Well, which one are you going to choose as a prospective customer? For many folks, that question is answered. So it's hugely valuable and it pays for itself as a result of that. But it's a new concept and these things take time. I'm sure you talk about this all the time with folks you work with from a SaaS product creation standpoint. Yeah, you can create a solution to a problem that other products aren't solving that's a problem that's urgent and expensive for your customers. Like that's the best place to be, right? With Grateful, we're building something long-term. Most folks aren't looking for our type of solution yet. So we have to educate a market, which I know from my experience is going to take a lot of time and a lot of energy. This is a long-term thing, not something that's going to blow up in two years. It's a 10 or 20 year journey, but I'm excited about that. And I'm passionate about that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's more the aspirational self. Where people see the value of it and are really eager to get it started and create advantage with that. I mean, I can't imagine that this will ever be. Of course, this doesn't get traction in the way you want. No customer is going to ask for it either. You don't have these discussions with customers. Any business out there that has a conversation with customer about a product that could possibly solve their problem, that conversation is never going to shift towards, oh, by the way, do you support charities? It's not the right moment for such conversations. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talking about kind of growing the business and evolving it and seeing at some point where the potential was, what has been the hardest nut to crack in order to grow usage and adoption of the system? You know, the space that I'm in with Grateful, it's a classic network effect issue, as I talked about, right? Because we've got great support from nonprofits and charities we work with. They don't pay to use the platform. They receive support. They attract additional donors. Certainly, there's a learning curve there and an introduction process and education needed. But that's an easier side of the market for us. But we onboarding individuals, onboarding businesses, you know, ramping all those things up, it's challenging. It takes time. And building out a yeah. true network effect business, it's incredibly powerful when you get that ramped up but it also takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort. Earlier in my career, my first SaaS startup was a construction SaaS platform that contractors and architects and building facility owners used. Different space, but that was a network effect business as well. And it took several years of intense effort. And that particular business was a number of years ago when people were a little more tech resistant. Now they're more open to tools in that space. But it took a lot of energy and a lot of effort and some lean years early on to really get that flywheel moving, right? To build up the energy around it. But then once you got that going and people started to use it and share it with others, it becomes a self-reinforcing process. And the energy that builds into scaling and growing the business is just tremendously powerful over time. I completely agree with that. But since you have already two businesses that were about the network effect, one or two key takeaways that you've learned over time of the things that did work really well or didn't work as you expected? I mean, the key thing would be patience with network effects as well. And I'm an impatient person, as most entrepreneurs are, right? Like we all want our things to be overnight successes, but they take time to ramp and build. So it's a process of time. It's a process of years. Patience is really key with that. But then keeping a really tight handle on your metrics. And even when things are small and early stage, about what your engagement is and really monitoring and thinking through the experience for each side of the network, each piece of the network, right? You can't just focus on one or the other, but you really have to balance across all of them, whether you've got a two-sided network or a three-sided network or whatever you're working with, really thinking through and progressively working through every side of that to hear the customer stories and how things are fitting together and where you can improve, where you can offer more valuable, offer more value. That's really cool as well. And you're probably familiar with it. There's a great book that came out in the past year, right? The Cold Start Problem around network effect businesses. I'm a fan of that. I think there's incredibly valuable lessons in that particular book for network-based businesses. And actually, the nice thing about the author of that book, the way he lays it out, goes through each stage of different examples of network effect tech companies that have been successful because the problems evolve as you move through the different stages of growth as well. That is for sure. I like what you're saying there. Of course, for the two-sided or the three-sided marketplace or the groups that you're dealing with, it is about increasing the value because that, that drives the adoption. But for those type of scenarios, of course, you, you need both to be sort of in balance. Because you do. one without the other doesn't really help either. I also like your idea about the fact that individuals could start to inform you about who is not on board, which the companies they, they would love to have on board. I've seen a couple of products that I've used myself that have, have used that model. I think, for example, that's not a product that I'm using, but Clubhouse, of course, used, worked that mm-hmm. way. Where it was really about who is inviting you. And that's creating that type of specialty and scarcity probably also around it. For example, the product that I love myself is Superhuman. They did exactly the same. The referral type of approaches and how you can scale that. So growing momentum, 
I mean, how many customers do you have right now? So we're relatively small and early stage. As I mentioned, I started working in 2019 on this, really just started marketing it across the U.S. in 2021. Here, we work with about 60 businesses so far. So relatively small and early stage. But what's been really cool has been to see the impact from it. So I've actually got a map that shows where the businesses are located, diverse industries, diverse locations, the nonprofits that their employees and customers are supported through the platform, about 1,500 different charities and nonprofits that they have supported in 46 states across the country as well. So it's actually, even though it's a relatively small number of businesses, it's a lot of contact points, a lot of early energy, a lot of diverse touches, which has been really cool to see. Great to see those numbers already there. What is the biggest lesson that you learned from selling it to the business? I think at the beginning, you opened doors and they get closed for you again. Like you're saying in the beginning, that we'll call you back when our customers start to ask for it. When did it start to work for you? Was it about positioning? Was it about the segmentation that you changed? Anything around that? Well, I think, as I mentioned, you know, the best what we're finding so far, and we're in the early adopter stage, right? When you think about the technology adoption curve, we're in the early stages of that, looking for innovators, yeah. early adopters that are willing to try something new, even though they don't know other companies that are using it yet as yeah. well. So there's a more narrow pool for that. By the way, I love working with that audience because they get excited. They get passionate about what your product. And I've worked with that audience in all my past businesses, different people, right? Because different products, different spaces, but the people that are willing to try something new, they become your evangelists, your passionate customers. They bring the best ideas. You have the deepest conversations with them. You get to know them well. You were asking earlier about what I like. That's, there's many things I like about building a business, but that definitely is one of the funnest parts for me, working with those individuals. You know, when we're finding really the, for us, the key lessons have been finding those types of people. And where it also connects with their values when they care about charitable giving, when they're generous. You know, there's different types of, I would say, attitudes around giving in society as a whole, right? There's a percent of the population that are proactive givers that are really deeply passionate about particular causes they believe in. They go out and look for opportunities to give more. That's a certain percent of the population. There's a big chunk in the middle that are more reactive givers, people that still care, that have it in their hearts but they're busy, which I mean, that describes most of us, right? But they're busy. There's a lot going on with their lives, with their careers, with their families, with everything else they have going on. And so while they will give, they are more reactive around it, you know, in traditional fields, when somebody asks them to donate to something they care about, when they see a fundraiser on Facebook, when a child at school, either one of their kids or a friend or family members asks to raise money for something, like that's how they tend to give because it comes up reactively. And then there's a smaller percent of the population that's not as focused on giving. That's okay. Some of them say they are because it's not as socially acceptable to say you don't care about that, but you know they're not going to spend as much time into it. But we're looking for folks that are at the front end of the scale that are early adopters, but also are more proactive givers. And when yeah. we find those folks that also happen to run a business or be in a business leadership position, that's yeah. where the magic happens right now with our early adopter growth with this platform as well. It's very recognizable, and I'm glad you kind of explained that and give the anecdotes around it. I recently wrote a long-form blog about segmentation, and I was actually, you know, so many companies stop with the segmentation just around firmographics or demographics, you know, the things that yeah. you can see and count from the outside. Like you said, magic really happens when you start to go four or five levels deeper in terms of the values that they have, the aspirations that they have, what they stand for, like worldviews, psychographic, these type of things. Absolutely. Um, far harder to look for. You cannot search for that on LinkedIn, for example, but then language comes in place and that's how you can start to attract a position for those type of organizations. What I'm always interested in, and particularly I think also for products like yours, because it's not exactly an enterprise sell, although I can for business, it can of course be something that you have to implement, but how do you 
get into the door is one thing, but then how do you start to grow that adoption and the diffusion that happens from there? Have you done anything specific inside the product that you almost created a viral effect? I had a couple we of have. people on the podcast that really were designing for that. Yeah. And certainly that's something with products you have to be really thoughtful about to continue to enhance that and build on that, right? One of our key things is, you know, as businesses implement and use Grateful with their customers, as their customers then engage and say, hey, I'm picking this cause to donate to or this local charity to donate to, that we're also inviting those customers to then help us share Grateful with other businesses, as I mentioned before. So to kind of continue that loop of spreading the word and certainly inviting nonprofits that receive donations through the platform, make new donor connections that they're invited to help spread the word about that as well. Getting that viral flywheel moving, which as I mentioned, requires patience when you're early, but as you start to ramp that up and get that going, just incredibly powerful and incredibly important. So completely agree with you on that. But you have to think it through from each person, each of those personas perspective to how to create that value and what encourages them to do it and how to make it as easy as possible for them to do it because nobody has enough time to do those things. So every little step, how many words do you need on a screen? How many clicks does it take them in the product to do that next thing? Really being deeply thoughtful about that is so important as well. Yeah. Fascinating when this starts to happen, when you get a viral effect that goes, but I like the trilogy almost. That you have, of course, a business, a supplier, and a customer. And in the middle is the not-for-profit where the donation goes to. And they're all connected in a way. It infects each other. But cool. A couple of things that we're focused on, too, you know, is getting more input from the nonprofits. So our platform provides information from them about what they do with those donations. I think seeing the impact is a space ah. where there's a lot of opportunity tech-wise as well, right? So we have nonprofits that upload photos and videos of their work. And they tell you exactly what the donations are being used for. That's valuable because that builds a connection beyond just, you know, I donated to XYZ group, which is awesome. Being able to see their work, understand it more deeply is really powerful. And then we ask our users when they're donating to send a thank you message to the business explaining why they picked that nonprofit. And that generates some amazing personal stories, you know, because they say, hey, I picked this group because this group supports research into this rare disease. And I have a nephew that has that same disease. Or I gave to this local animal shelter because I've adopted two dogs or two cats from it. You know, things like that, where you really see the personal connection, really moves into some very emotional stories and connections there, which are powerful as well. That's what it's really all about. And it's also where, yeah, it's like the brand value will grow up, but it's typically also the word of mouth within the company, where people are saying, if you've seen that story, goosebumps. That's what you do it for, also as a business. It becomes an attractive for employees and for employees to stay longer, to keep the retention high. So it works in so many different directions that you don't even think about. Shifting to the remarkable effect, like you said, you talked about it before the call. I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. And in the book, I'm talking about the traits that define those software companies or SaaS companies that we start talking about and keep talking about. You've started four companies. Have you found any magical things that you say, okay, this is what I'm designing for in order for that to get going? Well, I think in terms of you know designing products and designing businesses, we've talked about product a bit here already as well. You know, with designing products that are compelling, that are engaging, that are easy to use, that solve big problems and create great value for customers is important. From a business design standpoint, you know, designing the people, the culture, the structure, the architecture of your business, all of that is so incredibly important, just as important as the product side, right? Getting the right people on the bus shaping a culture that attracts and draws in those people and retains them and amplifies their energy to grow and scale what you're doing is incredibly important as well. Both of those things really factor into building the right 
types of companies when you're scaling SaaS? Sorry, I'm giving you kind of a high-level answer to your question. I'm not sure if it's specifically where you're looking for, but starting there. These are really good things. And I like the point that you made about amplifying energy, because that is a very good way sort of to measure. Are we amplifying energy in anything that we do? Because that's what it's really all about. And I think you're in the right business to get a lot of that. For example, your initiative to get these personal notes, personal stories back from customers where you've made a donation for. So a thank you message. These are the things that work in that way. I like that. Very often it's not about you know how the product looks, what the product really does, but what it does for people and how it makes them feel. Um, yes. And I think you've hit the needle on the head with that. Now, another question getting towards the bottom of the hour here. From the four companies that you started, you gained a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom. If there would be one do and one don't that you could share with people that aspire to take entrepreneur or that you know, want to kind of step up and take it to the next level, what advice would you give? Yeah, great question. You know, from a, from a do standpoint, it is always be pushing yourself forward. Always take that next step. Always take action. Ideas are easy. The execution is the hard part, but keep pushing yourself to do the next thing. If you've got an idea, go talk to some people about it. Sketch out what it could be. You know, if you've got an early stage MVP, take that next step to continue to enhance it and find customers and knock on doors. Just always be pushing yourself forward with it and taking that next action step. Too many people give up too early in the journey. And I think it's important to have that persistence and that grit, as you mentioned earlier, to keep pushing with it as well. You know, from a don't standpoint, don't get discouraged as you go and don't expect overnight success either as well. There's certainly, we see examples of SaaS companies that, you know, they went from zero to a gazillion dollars in two years and everybody aspires to that with their next venture. But that's not normal. It can happen, but it's not normal. Really, these types of businesses, they're 10-year journeys or longer for most good startups, or at least you have to go into it with that mindset and have that persistence. And you're rolling that big rock up the hill, right? And some days you push the rock forward, some days the rock rolls backwards on you, but you have to keep pushing, have to keep up the fight, have to keep up the battle. But pick something you're passionate about as well, right? When you're starting and building a company, even though my companies have been in a variety of different spaces from construction tech to marketing tech to social impact, uh, you know, charitable giving tech today, they're all things that have interested me and passion. I've been passionate about. I think as people go out and pursue this, certainly something they've got a, a depth of passion and interest in is important to motivate them and to drive them forward as well. So again, high level answer there, but hopefully, hopefully that's helpful. That's for sure helpful. And I think everybody can do something useful with that. You know, you can make it as detailed as you want, but for everybody it's different. And I think you hit the nail on that as well. I like the feedback. Can I give you two other thoughts as well? Maybe I'm tangenting a little bit here from your conversation, but I want to make a plug for these because I know your audience, other folks are building and expanding great SaaS companies as well. But, you know, two other comments I would offer in this space as a whole is I do think for other SaaS founders and folks that are thinking about it as well, starting to think a little bit more about social impact. And that's not a plug to use grateful. That's just more of a general thing. I think we could spend more time on in our industry. Also, I've always been in my past companies, you know, one of my values has always been caring for people, taking care of people. And I think that's a common theme in many companies to build great SaaS companies. You have to do that. But in the past, I've defined that a little more internally, which is good. And I think a lot of SaaS companies do a good job of that, right? Offer great employee benefits, take care of the people that you hire, because that's how you do it to attract people to retain them as well. But taking care of your internal team is a value for many SaaS companies. But I think one of the personal reflections I've had on this that I would challenge others to think about is to broaden that caring for people means more than taking care of your team. It means thinking about the impact in the greater world and how we help really help some of the biggest problems that need our help in society as a whole. And I know that's a really high level statement, but I do think in the SaaS space, we have the opportunity to do that. We almost have the moral obligation to do that, but I almost would challenge other founders to think about that a bit more 
And then the other point I would mention is I think we need to raise the bar for impact in SaaS companies for what we're all doing socially as well. There's a commonly accepted definition in the SaaS space that, you know, being moral, being ethical is to not hurt others, right? And I think most SaaS founders would say, hey, we're not, I'm making sure I'm not hurting other people. I'm not treating people poorly or building technology that harms people. Like that's kind of the bar. As long as you're not hurting other people, you're a good company. I really would challenge other SaaS founders. And I'm challenging myself on this with Grateful as well. We need to raise the bar to not just hurt others, but also that we're building technology that really helps others and helps others that are in need. Sorry, I'm kind of getting on my soapbox now, but I want to make sure to stick those concepts into our conversation today to share with your audience also. No, I'm glad you said this. And I mean, if there's anyone that can say it and should say it, it's you. So uh, glad you did so. And I completely agree with that as well. I actually think that those two things are not working against each other. Actually, I think they complement each other and it creates more for you than you possibly could expect. Thumbs up for that. Glad I can help you amplify the message here. I love the conversation today. Thank you for being so open, sharing like what you stand for. Glad you ended up as your fourth company to do something in this space and being an ambassador for this as well. So I keep following you on your journey and good luck with the next steps. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Matt. And I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspires you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Matt Ostanik, CEO of Grateful. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. 